0: The CBS Eye and Other Tales. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Our guest from the West Coast is George Schweitzer. Thanks for being with us, George. Pleasure, Bob.
1: Great to be with you and everyone in the Mohawk Valley.
0: This year, in the midst of the pandemic, George Schweitzer retired from a 48-year career at CBS, To honor your leave-taking, CBS Sunday Morning's Lee Cowan interviewed you about your uh, CBS television memories, including the origin of the TV network symbol, the CBS Eye. Where did that uh, eye come from?
1: It's a great story, uh, Bob. The eye uh, was developed in 1951 as the network symbol. Uh, The uh, brilliant creative director of the company at that time, a man named William Golden, Bill Golden, uh, was looking for a fall campaign logo to use on the TV commercials. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was inspired by um, some uh, shaker art, uh, the Shakers uh, in Pennsylvania had um, uh, hex symbols, they're called, painted on well, their, their... I don't to Am- interrupt
0: you. Did, didn't you say originally that those were Am- Amish symbols? I did. But they were shakers.
1: I was later corrected.
0: Oh, you were... These were shakers.
1: Okay. Yes. Okay. So they were shaker art symbols. I mean, the Amish had them as well, but I have been since corrected, and I will stand by the correction. Uh, okay, sure. Anyway, it was in Pennsylvania, and there was on their barns, uh, they had uh, hex symbols to keep away the, um, the bad spirits and to uh, look out and shine positively upon their farms and their folks. And um, one of them was a, was a symbol of an eye, an all-seeing eye, and Golden thought, well you know, that is visual, that's our medium. So he took that back and refined it just as to drawing of a simple eye and presented it to the president of CBS, Dr. Frank Stanton, who was president, Bill Paley was the chairman, and he Mm -hmm. said, this is our fall campaign, our symbol, the all-seeing eye. He said, great. Um, They put it up there, they had um, great interest and success and didn't give it another thought until he came back the next year and said to... uh, dr stanton uh i'm i'm thinking of developing another symbol for our campaign next year and i've got some ideas and stanton said wait a second that that i that cbs eye, that's going to be our symbol forever so the development um took a little you know could have taken a turn there if, if stanton or someone else had said yeah let's look for something else who knows what it would have been yeah but uh but yes so the so so uh, bill golden uh, credited with uh, developing the eye, a brilliant creative director in the in the, in the days of, you know, the advertising, okay. the madman um, uh, the- uh, uh, period of history there, a uh, uh, wonderful guy, and then passed yes. down the legacy. And I was um, happily and honorably the keeper of the eye for about 30 years, and the keeper of the eye, basically, I was the cop when someone was using it wrong or, um, or you know, there were, there were certain rules, and obviously we wanted to protect our copyright and our trademark on that symbol for CBS. And so uh, uh, it was a, a fun and honorable job.
0: Really? The keeper of the eye. That's pretty yes. pretty special. Yes. But, I keep telling and, that and to you've my been, you've, been a promos- you've been a promotions person for most of your years at CBS. And uh, on the TV piece they did with you, you even have a toaster that burns the CBS eye into the side of the toast?
1: Yes, and as I I say, it's better to be CBS toast than just toast. So um, uh, I was looking... I'm always looking for gizmos and gadgets, and, you know, people come in and they try to sell you lots of things, from T-shirts to bottle caps, and, you know, the the usual things. When you're in the marketing and promotion business, the job is to get seen. So you want your... uh, your logo scene you want the name of your company scene but most of all in our world you know you want the name of your programs scene uh, mm-hmm. so we're always looking for different things and uh, one day someone came in with a toaster and said hey you know we can burn your you know your logo uh, into a piece of toast and of course <laughs> the, the person had a couple of pieces of, uh, of delicious wonder bread and uh, sure. and plopped it down on my desk Plugged in the toaster, and lo and behold, in you know thirty seconds or so, there was the CBSI golden brown in the uh, in the slice of bread. I I did not uh, buy the toasters. I, I had a good laugh, as most people did, and they left me the sample, which I uh, continue to have and uh, use occasionally.
0: you uh, see. And let me ask you about some of the other CBS stuff and promotion stuff that accumulated apparently in your office over the decades. Why do you have a pineapple?
1: I have a pineapple. It's a battery operated pineapple with a video screen inside. And it was, um, one of my, uh, one of my misses versus one of my hits. And this miss was, um, for the premiere of Hawaii 5 about 15 years ago, the the remake, um, mm-hmm. we we were thinking of different things we could do, and of course, what do you think of Hawaii? But obviously, a pineapple comes to mm-hmm. mind, and we found someone who could um, implant a, a video, uh, small like two by two inch video screen, uh, battery operated, into a. Uh, it was a plastic pineapple. Um, and um, and I uh, was going to preview that as a gimmick at a CBS board meeting when I do a traditional, um, I did a traditional presentation to the CBS board of directors every September uh, about how different ways we're going to uh, promote the fall season. And that year uh, was Hawaii Five O, and I had this thing and said, and you know, here's an idea that you know we liked, but we couldn't make these. It was too expensive, but I wanted to show you our thinking and blah, 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 And I pressed the button for the little video, which was going to be a promo for the show with the Hawaii Five-O theme, and nothing happened. <laughs> oh, and dear. I pressed it again, and nothing happened. And there mm-hmm. I am in the CBS boardroom with my, my my bosses and uh, and the board looking on, and uh, I just kind of passed it around and said, well, you'll just have to imagine... Uh, a great video and, um, and I'll hum the theme song. So, uh, again, these are gimmicks and, and, and sure, you know, so. you enjoy them. All right. Them. Let
0: me, let me ask you about another thing in your, uh, collection. George Schweitzer with us, who in his years promoting, uh, CBS television programs, collected a lot of material. Why are there eggs in your collection?
1: There are eggs because that was one of our great, um, uh, innovations, Bob. We, um, Every year, we send some of our folks to different trade shows and uh, uh, conventions to see what what the the trade, well, the marketing and advertising trade is is promoting. And usually, it's people who make you know outdoor billboards or, or mostly retail displays for supermarkets or convenience stores and you know things that you don't think about but you pass by every day, big signs and banners and stuff. And I said to our folks who went, oh, "Did you see anything interesting?" I said. No, not really. The same kind of stuff, you know, uh, big screens and billboards and, you know, racks and displays. And, yeah, there was this crazy little table at the side where someone had these eggs where they were inscribing things on eggs and, you know, whatever. I said, wait, eggs? That sounds interesting. (laughs) Uh, And what happened is um, in Europe they had passed uh, a law that said the eggs had to be dated on the egg. So Mm. they – Um, created laser printing, laser imprinting um, equipment for the egg distributors so that they could put the dates on them. And this company had the license to the equipment in the United States, and they were selling it as an ad medium because we had no such expiration law on the egg itself. We have it on the carton. Um, So... They were showing that you could put the name of a show or, the, you know, the name of your product on an egg. I said, this is a great idea. So we had the egg person come. We talked about it, and we basically were uh, – uh, we did 30 million eggs in that fall. I forget which year it was, but um, we had the name of all of our shows uh, on, on separate eggs, not, not all of them on one egg, and just different eggs. So it was CBS Monday – the Yolks on Us, because it was common. Um, you know, uh, uh, Survivor, you know, don't walk on eggshells. You know, these, these kind of things. And, um, you know, we love corny humor. People, people get a crack out of it. And uh, the eggs lived on in, as I've said, they, they got um, more attention in, in the press than I think they did at the stores. I mean, you didn't know you were buying these eggs until you opened them and saw
0: them different distributors it wasn't
1: just from one place it was different co-ops of you know farmers of um, uh, dairy folks and so on but in any event it was great it was different and you have to be different to get some attention you have to find your hook so that year the eggs were the hook
0: all right now what do you suppose is going to happen to your collection? Did you get it to get to take it home with you? Your yeah, I have half over?
1: of it, and the other half is in a, uh, a locked, sealed cage at the CBS studios. And we're talking to different uh, museums and colleges uh, for where some of it might go. So there's. Um, I, I,
0: a lot yeah, of I was CBS hoping you'd say there, that because you and I have one know, thing in common, George. Both of us are graduates of Boston University. Correct, we're uh, carriers. You're, you, terriers. you're, you're uh, a bit younger than I. I graduated in 67 and 68. I had two graduations, and and you in 72. Correct, that think, was just a few years you think, behind you there, Bob. Yeah. yeah, do you think that Boston U would be interested in this collection?
1: Uh, possibly. Haven't talked to them. Obviously, I live in, and work in California. The, uh, USC has a, uh, an Annenberg school here, which is very connected to, to CBS. Um, we also have the Museum of Television and Radio, which was funded and founded by William S. Paley, who was the founder of CBS. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of interest in different places, and I'm putting together uh, an outline for a potential exhibition, and um, we'll keep you posted on that.
0: All right. Now, speaking of your connections with CBS, was it true that I read that your mother worked at CBS? My mother um, was
1: a single mom, and she was a researcher uh, at CBS News for Robert Trout, who was a famous CBS yeah. commentator in the Ed Murrow days, and she did his, a lot of his research, and she worked for him for many years. Um, my, I met my wife at CBS um, early on. Uh, her name is
0: Kate, right? Her
1: name is Kate, and, and she, um, she showed up one day as the new employee, and um, Cupid's arrow hit me squarely and um i said this is the woman i'm going to marry and indeed it took me a while to you know make that case mm-hmm. but it happened mm-hmm. and we've been married 46 years and wow, that's um great. and uh my brother peter is a senior producer at 48 hours the the documentary the news show uh and he's been there you know like 40 years and so it's um it's a family business and we're very I guess proud it of is. that and when and when very, you were a kid, and very
0: when, when you were a child, you appeared on the CBS show To Tell the Truth. Was that what well, I was 13, doing? I was 13. I was
1: beyond childhood. Uh, but, right. yeah, I played a liar. Uh, that was a show, To Tell the Truth, where um, they had four people, uh, contestants and a celebrity panel. And the contestant, one of them had the real story of who they were, and the other two, um, the other were um, three were imposters. And we basically lied you, and uh, um, yeah. used our imaginations to convince the panel of celebrity judges that we were the, really the, the real person. And I, uh, I was an imposter for a kid my age at that point, 14, 13 years old, who built a satellite that the Air Force um, <laughs> was going to launch. Uh, he was a scientist. And, yeah. um, and it was a great experience. I have the picture. I have the old kinescope of the video and uh, uh, I, was, uh, I, I was destined for a job in marketing.
0: Yeah. Now, you must have grown up in the New York City area, right? Yes,
1: I, yes, I was born in, and, and, and lived in New York City for, um, uh, you know, all my life. We, we only moved to California about 11 years ago. So we're New Yorkers, we're East Coasters, we're familiar with, uh, with your area up there, a beautiful, beautiful area of New York. And, um, yeah. yes, we've, we've been New Yorkers um, and then migrated west to get rid of uh, humidity, uh, snow, ice, uh, commuter trains, <laughs> and so on. But now you have, have our own, but Now we have traffic, terrible. earthquakes, fires. So, you know, you, you trade a little something no matter where you go
0: and i figured out the math it seems to me you know again speaking about our connection that we both went to sure. boston u yes. that you must have got got a job at cbs practically as soon as you graduated from boston I u was
1: I, again was I, that
0: mom did mom help you get that no, job no no
1: not at all i i had made um uh connections early on uh i was i worked there for a summer in the newsroom as an assistant um off of kind of just, uh, well, mom got me a contact, but I pursued it. And, um, you know, networking is what it's all about, no matter what field you're in. As you know, Bob, so um, I I networked my way into a summer job and then was invited back. And I started Mm. in April of 72. So graduation, I think, was in May. Um, I, I got my diploma, and um, and ran back, and um, <laughs> and started on the midnight shift in the CBS newsroom in New York.
0: And what did you do? You were a producer. Or no, I was what a desk assistant.
1: I brought coffee to these guys. I it was a great job. I I worked um, a shift in the newsroom with all the top correspondents and reporters and producers and i learned from them i was a sponge Mm -hmm. uh i i did you know you do the lowest of the low which is always as i say where you learn everything from the ground up and it was bringing coffee and 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 donuts to the reporters working hard at the desk it was uh cleaning cleaning up rooms of uh of old uh wire service uh wire copy back in those days they had teletype machines that and typed out the news and you would uh, separate the seven copies and distribute them and bring them. It was answering phones. It was Mm -hmm. doing whatever there was to be done. You Mm -hmm. always said yes. And that's, and then
0: eventually you got a job working on the captain kangaroo show.
1: I did. I did. Um, I was, I went into production after the news, after I started news, I went into production in what's called the operations department. And I learned about how to, um, how they put TV shows together and so on. And I was a production manager. And one of my shows that they assigned me to was Captain Kangaroo. They put all the rookies, they put all the new people, the rookies they were training on Captain Kangaroo. And it was a great experience. And then he uh, had a round of people leave. And he kind of pointed at me and said, you know, the next year, you, you, you can be one of my producers next year. So I, I did uh, special projects and things and uh, uh, traveled with the captain when he went uh, to make speeches and so with Bob Keeshan great guy, mm-hmm. really interesting, very devoted to um, to the field learned a lot from Bob we we traveled mostly west coast and then some college trips and so on, and worked on the daily production of the show, which was you know an hour of television five days a week. literally he was on more than than almost any other personality at the time
0: i did a podcast with a woman um actually whose name escapes me at the moment but she was affiliated with the bronx zoo
1: ruth gruber um she 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 was the the animal liaison the animal producer i don't know if it was the exact same person she was not she was affiliated with the bronx she had a relationship with them i don't know if this is the same person but ruth was our producer um for all the animal segments put them all together got got the animals there and so on and was really, um, a wonderful part of the, uh, a wonderful part of the crew.
0: But then you went into promotions and, and in in your almost half century at CBS, Mm -hmm. there have been five changes in ownership. For example, today it's Viacom CBS, right? Yes. How important Uh, are the TV networks anymore? Serious question now, George. Sure. Um, Um, I mean, Go ahead.
1: Not as important as they were, but still very important. They're kind of the mothership, because they launch the programs. It is it is extremely competitive. I don't have to tell you or any of your listeners how competitive it is in the entertainment space right now, finding out about what there is to watch and how you make a decision. And I, I've studied viewer decision behavior for 30 years and um, kind of made it my specialty. And I'm still learning even even beyond my job uh, because there's always this growing competition and so many more people shouting for our attention. And what they want, what we want is a share of your attention, of your leisure time. You could do, you know, you could re- watch a movie, you could read a book, you could uh, do something with the family. You could do anything. Uh, give me an hour. I often feel was harder than asking for $10, um, <laughs> but it's true into how precious our time has become. So, um, it, the TV networks per se, the big TV networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, um, are kind of launching pads to get these entertainment brands out there. Uh, mm. now, Will that change? Yes. Is that changing? Yes, but not significantly, because people are still hovering back to live television as a viewer experience. Uh, the, the technology really changed the whole game, and once we were able to watch what we wanted, when we wanted on our own schedules, that's what changed the networks dramatically. But, the, but people still look to network TV for the quality of of production and the quality of presentation you know there's thousands and thousands of things you can watch but they're not all good mm-hmm. you know you, mm-hmm. you you really have to decide the the streaming services the you know what what, what we knew as the cable services like an HBO or Showtime are now really streaming services and so it's really not how they're delivered but what they what they do, what they carry in terms of their programming showtime great stuff hbo wonderful Uh, Netflix, Amazon, these are like retailers. They're like libraries, and they Hmm. just have shelves and shelves and shelves, and we, as a network, we compete with that. Uh, Mm The good news is we still have the biggest voice, and that's why Mm -hmm. sports on television is so important. And that's Hmm. because people watch live sports on networks, NFL, NBA, um, college basketball, and football, and so on, and that's where we promote the entertainment shows and that's where um movie companies pay millions of dollars for ads to tell people about their movies Mm -hmm. well the same with Mm -hmm. network tv but we you know we have our own you know on-air promotions the preview spots about shows we call them promos and um Believe me, they work, and people like them Mm -hmm. because they like to see what's coming up—the previews, comic traction.
0: and on on your watch, or you developed—well, this—I got a couple of things written here. CBS promoted "Everyone Loves Raymond," the TV show, on airplane passenger videos.
1: Yes, everybody loved Raymond. Was out there as a
0: show, but nobody was really watching it. It was Friday
1: nights at eight thirty. Uh, when it first started and it was a nice little show but it didn't have you know end up it didn't have the attention it ended up with we had a deal with American Airlines to supply video it was a promotional deal we didn't make money they didn't pay for it uh, but we used it as a way to uh, you had a captive audience this is before internet Wi-Fi streaming iPads people looked at the screen on airplanes we, we supplied episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond and people start, you know, all of a sudden you'd be sitting on a plane and you start hearing people laugh all at the same time, which is a good thing. And mm-hmm. when well, you look up, you see what's happening, more and more people are watching this. And um, to this day, we credit the growth of, you know, kind of the, the really the foundation of the growth of Everybody Loves Raymond to the fact that it was on American Airlines for a year or so. And, you know, word of mouth, then, you um, uh, did its thing, and the next thing you know, it's a hit on network TV. It moves to Mondays, and it's it's the number one show on TV for, you know, several years, number one comedy.
0: Mm. Now, you've been, uh, thank you for answering that, but you had been talking about sports. Let me go back to that for a moment. Sure. You have marketed eight Super Bowls. Yes. Uh, and that's, uh, why is that such a major event on on television? It's It's
1: a cultural event. It's not just a television event. And it's just grown. The NFL is a brilliant—you talk about brilliant marketing. The NFL kind of owns that position uh, in the sports and entertainment world, and they know how to build a product. And over the years, they built that Super Bowl into into a spectacular, can't miss cultural calendar event. And um, we're glad—you know—the the, the contract rotates, so uh, the networks trade the Super Bowl every three years. So. Um, NBC, CBS, and Fox um, alternate. So we trade um, every three years. It'll be CBS's turn coming up this year in in, uh, in February. It'll be in Tampa, Florida. And um, it's uh, it will have the eyes of the country and the world on the Super Bowl. It's like kind of the World Cup equivalent in the rest of the world with soccer.
0: Mm. And Back to entertainment, you have, have launched five Chuck Lorre comedies. That's the guy that done Big Bang and uh, Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Correct. Men and so forth. Two and
1: a Half Men. Yep, yep. Chuck's a great talent, really brilliant, and um, uh, launched five of his shows. Uh, all of them great shows, all of them so interesting and different, um, and, and a great talent to work with. And comedy is... Uh, is, is is an acquired uh, taste. The talent for comedy is, is really the hardest thing to do. Comedy is the Really? Thing to do. Oh yeah, absolutely. Comedy is the hardest thing to do. Getting people to laugh, moving moving the story along, getting the characters involved. It's it's so much harder than any other form of entertainment. Hmm. Good good comedy. Bad comedy, that's easy. <laughs> good yes, comedy yes. is hard. We um, made we made good comedy.
0: Yeah, Well, let me um, – I, I hope this is right. A man named Mike Benson uh, yes. from Amazon is your successor yes. in promotions Mike's a great at guy. CBS. Yes, I've,
1: I've known him for a long time. He, he was a, a contemporary. He's a contemporary. He worked at ABC for years at the ABC network promoting network TV, so he knows that. But the piece that, that he has that I didn't have, and I'm so glad that why um, he's carrying on, is because he has the whole digital piece. He built the Amazon – uh, prime video uh, marketing group there from three people to whatever it ended up being in, by the time mike came over and um, and really understands his stuff is very okay. strategically focused and um, and and really uh, the right guy to move things ahead and i believe in generational change i mean i tell folks hey that's how i got my job
0: what are you doing now
1: i'm uh, i'm indexing and collecting all my artifacts I'm I'm finding homes for them. I'm not writing a book, uh, but I, <laughs> I I find a lot of things that I pass down to my kids who are grown up and have kids of their own. And um, my wife and I are working every day and then reading and screening and we're doing well. We just we just miss seeing people in person, and I'm sure that will all be corrected soon.
0: Yeah, because there. Part of the story, I think, uh, on the Lee Cowan piece was that they couldn't have a party for you. And you're, you're a man who threw parties for everybody and yeah, there's no you know party. What? It's
1: better giving the party than having the party. Let me tell you, I, I didn't want a party. I'm gl- I'm not glad there's an, ep- uh, an epidemic, but I'm glad that um, I was flattered with the Sunday morning piece. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful legacy piece for me. I'm so proud of it for me, my department and CBS. And it was so much better than a... A retirement party where people stand around at a buffet so i'm good right. i'm good
0: with that george schweitzer worked for cbs for close to 50 years most of those years he promoted cbs television programs he accumulated a nifty collection of cbs and other promotion memorabilia you've been listening to the historians podcast and i'm bob Cudmore. Just a reminder, you can help us produce more episodes of the Historian's Podcast by donating to our year-long GoFundMe campaign. On our website, bobcudmore.com, we link to the campaign, and you can donate there. Or you can send me a check. Check me out to Bob Cudmore. Send it to 125 Horstman Drive in Scotia, New York, 12302.